Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening to all our listeners and welcome to Law Focus on Bio FM 88.1. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Tab Mahapi and I'm going to be your host for tonight. As we welcome the new month of October, uh, we're glad and appreciate that we're still able to give you content and information that's relevant to your lives. Now, for those of you who are joining us, just a reminder that Law Focus aims to deal with issues relating to legal matters. Uh, tonight's show is one of our monthly profile shows where we feature an individual who is within the legal profession uh, and we get to talk to them about the various aspects that they have encountered while trying to achieve their dreams within the legal profession. We're always here to inform you about your legal rights as well as explore various topics that are related to the law. Tonight, we hope you enjoy the show as we'll be in conversation with Nontantla Payne. She's a candidate attorney and she's also living with a physical disability called Blount Tibia Vera. But uh, first things first, let's take a look at our show's social media where you can find us. That is Twitter, at VowFM, using the hashtag LawFocus. On Facebook, we're VowFM. And for podcasts, you can visit vits.journalism.co.za forward slash law or the Vits Radio Academy page on IONO. And we are also available on Spotify now. Now, let's get started with the first feature of our show, which are the legal hotspots. Let's have a look at our hottest legal stories of the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week is legal hotspots. A Danfern man who owes the city power... 463,000 Rand is arrested for bribery. A 50-year-old uh, Danefern resident uh, was arrested after he gave police and city technicians 1,500 to reconnect the power to his house. According to the Four Ways Review, the Joburg Metro Police Department undercover unit arrested him during a sting operation last week. Now, the arrest follows after the suspect tried to bribe city power technicians to reconnect him after his cutoff from the power grid. According to City Power, he owes the power utility more than 463,000 rand. And, you know, nowadays we are dealing with a lot of theft, and that's going to be in the news quite a bit. Three Durban cops to appear in court following their arrest for alleged theft of 2.2 million rand. Three police officers aged between 38 and 49 years were arrested for the alleged theft of uh, 2.2 million rand. It's in a bogus search and seizure operation. The Citizen newspaper reported that two of the officers are from the Durban Canine Unit and one is from the Pine Town Crime Intelligence. Now, according to police spokesman Katla Khumukhale, in April last year, a warrant officer, three sergeants and a civilian allegedly visited the complainant's house uh, to conduct what they termed a search and seizure operation of an illegal firearm. Now, while these people were searching the premises, the suspects allegedly came across two cardboard boxes and a safe containing 2.2 million rand. They seized the cash without providing any documentation for that and also without saying where the money was going to be taken. The complaint naturally opened a case of theft and the matter was referred to the Hawks Serious Corruption Investigation Unit. Uh, five people were successfully linked to the crime and the two others who are, n- are not yet arrested are still at large. The police say all of them will face charges of theft or alternatively armed robbery. Mbobo municipal manager appears in court. 
Alimpopo municipal manager is among four prominent municipal employees who appeared before the Polokwane Magistrates Court on Monday for allegedly stealing 4.8 million rand. Now, this is also according to the citizen. The money was paid for an agricultural tender, which was illegally awarded to the municipal manager's wife. This money was allegedly embezzled by the manager and his cronies between the financial years of 2015 and 2016. Uh, the Directorate for Priority Crimes, the Hawks, arrested the municipal manager on Friday following investigations into allegations that he conspired with signatories at the Mahate, the community property association, irregularly award that tender. Three suspects aged between 51 years and 70 years old were arrested over the weekend, and this all related to that tender. The three include a former member of parliament, a former chairperson of Mokhato Community Property Association, and a bank employee. It's amazing. Sometimes we think that the youth in this country are outrageous. In this situation, we have people who are aged 51 to 70. Uh, dealing with this kind of stuff. And they all hold important positions. Sure. But let's see how that story develops. And one of the biggest stories of the week so far has been seven accused in the 255 million rand asbestos corruption case are released on bail. The Bloemfontein Magistrates Court granted bail and it ranged from 50,000 to 500,000 in the high-profile Free State Asbestos Corruption case. According to the IOL, the seven accused were arrested by the Hawks this week. Six suspects were arrested in Gauteng and the Free State, and the seventh one was arrested in KZN after he handed himself over on Thursday afternoon. The seven accused are as follows. Ntomo Mukesi, Masumola John Matlakala, Edwin Sodi, Silo Khatebe, Khotso Abel Manyike, Tabane, uh, Zulu and Matawana Mlamleli. I hope I got those all right. 47-year-old businessman Edwin Sodi is the owner of Blackhead uh, Consulting, and they've been in the news quite a bit recently. Uh, Blackhead Consulting scored millions in contracts from the Free State Human Settlements Department, and he was released on 500,000 rand bail. So the offence is really serious. While the following accused were released on about 100,000 rand bail, uh, they were the 63-year-old former Mangawung municipal mayor, Matawana Mlamleli, and also the former MEC for the Free State Department of Human Settlements, Ntomo Zimukezi. He's also former head of the Free State Human Settlements uh, Department. 37-year-old Siloha Debo is a businessman from Four Ways, 53-year-old Wiseman Zulu, a former Director General of the National Department of Human Settlements. The other two suspects were released on 50,000 rand bail, and that's uh, Matlakala, a supply chain manager at the uh, Human Settlements Director, Chip, and a 33-year-old Abel Manika businessman from Club Union Pretoria. They all face fraud, theft, corruption, money laundering charges, as well as contravention of the asbestos uh, regulations. And of course, contravention of the prevention of organized crime. Uh, the NPSA is expected to make even more arrests, and the, all of the accused are expected back in court in, on November the 11th. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus on BioFM 88.1. If you've just joined us, tonight we're profiling a young, dynamic, and very resilient young woman. And she's a candidate attorney 
is also living with a physical disability. The name of the disability, I think, is Blount Tibia Vera. We're joined by Nwantlantla Payne, and she's going to talk to us tonight about her journey in the legal fraternity and some of the challenges that she's experienced both as a woman and as a person living with a disability. Now, to give you a bit of background about Nwantlantla, she was once part of SABC's reality educational and leadership program, the name of that program, I think, is was One Day Leader, and she ended up in the top 20. And she was also under consideration for the top six in the competition in uh, 2017. Uh, she's a member of the w- Women in Mining Committee, and that was the period of 2018 to 2019 at Anglo-American Platinum. And she's very versatile. She gave back to her fellow students by being a tutor at the uh, Vitch University School of Law. Uh, where she was a tutor in constitutional law. She enjoys uh, reading, watching TV, shopping, and spending quality time. Now, originally from Johannesburg, uh, going up here, but having traveled, you know, uh, quite extensively in her childhood between here and Natal and other places, uh, but she comes from a large family, passionate about life and always ready to conquer whatever throws at her. Good evening, Nantanta. Thank you for joining us tonight. Welcome to Law Focus. Good evening, Tepo. Um, thank you so much for having me today. Could you tell us a bit about who you are? You know, what's your background? You know, where do you come from? Where did you go to school? You know, who are you? Okay, so my name is Nantantla Payne. Um, I was born on the 10th of March, 1992, born and bred in Johannesburg, um, and I'm the only child between my mom and dad, uh, but if you look at the fact that they had three children from previous relationships, you could technically say I'm the last born of the, of, of the family, um, but, you know, because my mom passed away at, at, you know, I had to live in Peter Maritzburg at some point and then came back to Johannesburg, uh, pretty much a very, you could say an unstable life. I had, I went to different schools. In fact, I, I can't even remember all of them because I changed schools so many times because of, you know, different reasons in terms of moving between provinces. So basically that's, that's who I am. I, I live in Johannesburg now and yeah, I'm a candidate attorney. At some stage, there was um, an informal adoption in your life as well, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So, so when my mom passed away when I was in grade eight, um, and then I went to grade nine and I went to Peter Maritzburg. So my mom's boss um, decided to informally adopt me. Um, and she took care of me for a year and some bit, and then she got sick. Um, and so a lot of the money was going into her medical fees, and at some point she could not um, continue helping me with schooling because I was in the boarding school at some point, so she couldn't help me with that. So then had to move, you know, back home in Peter Maritzburg. And then yeah, continue looking for school then. But I wasn't. I was staying at home for some for some time. But went back at some point again. You know, so it's been a long journey to get to the point where you are now a candidate attorney. But what made you embark on this particular profession? What made you choose law? 
So, look, I didn't necessarily choose to study law. First, when I applied, I applied at UKZN at the Peter Marisberg um, campus, and I applied for geological sciences. I got rejected for that course, mainly because I didn't do physical sciences. Um, I then asked everyone else, um, including um, the person I call my husband now, to say, look, um, so what? which other course do you think I should do? You know, at some point, everyone thought I should be um, a politician, you know, I wanted to be a politician and everybody saw me in parliament um, and I thought, hmm, you know, I wasn't quite certain if it was as a noble of a profession, so I thought ah, oh, okay, maybe let's try um, you know, law and then use my law degree to get into the political space mm-hmm. um, so so it was, it was by chance, but I think when I went to VITS then law became a choice because then I wanted to use it as a tool to help me find ways to problem solve. Um, so that that's what it was then at some point. Okay, so you want to go into politics and and you want to sharpen your skills <laughs> in here in the legal profession before you. Hey, <laughs> okay. not anymore, Tebo. No, oh. I'm fine where I am. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. No, I'm it's completely good, happy where I am. The, the, the relationship between attorneys and politicians is a very strong one, Shem. Uh, you, you'll find yeah, that. Yes, you see, I wanted to be a Jeff Hadev at some point because I know, you know, he has a law degree and I was like, huh, maybe, you know, you know, you can do both, you know, have a law degree and be into politics, but no, not not so much anymore. Oh, I'm not sorry. keen anymore. A huge number of, of, of prime ministers and presidents are former lawyers. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, you know, it's telling and, you know, I could just be in the right profession. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's fine. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm comfortable where I am at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, I often get, you know, asked about, you know, what does it entail to be a candidate attorney and you know because you see it on suits you mm. see it on all sorts of programs where it's really nice sure. and exciting and sexy mm-hmm. and you have the last word and the in mm-hmm. court and you know everything is mm-hmm. you know perfect perfectly timed mm-hmm. what is it actually like to be a candidate attorney what does your job entail <laughs> okay <laughs> hi sorry um to be to be a candidate requires a lot of you to be honest, um, there's the, um, the physical aspect, um, the long hours, um, so you, the early mornings, the late hours, um, the the quantity of work, and you know it could be admin based, which at some point you know you know you 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 print um, a whole lot of files, you you scan. You know, you do a lot of admin. Um, a lot of is required of you, and a, a lot of humility is required of you, uh, because I think it's very easy to to you know from to come from a vis university with a law degree and think, oh, I'm not going to print that. It's so beneath. Um, I didn't study for this. I, I didn't study um, for years to. <laughs> I, I didn't study for years to print and scan papers. Um, but but I it's think it's so much so. And passionate, you see, you know yourself and passionating and itemizing and all of that. Um, but, but you know, you, you come to understand that, you know, every job has its, you know, pros and cons and the certain things might not necessarily be printing, but, you know, every job comes with that thing that you just don't care to do, right? Yeah. Um, but I guess it's, it's not necessarily about 
the act of scanning and printing, it's about the principle behind it. Um, you know, being disciplined enough to to go to work, to show up every other day um, and do what is is expected of you. Um, so so it's, it's character building more than not. Um, it's learning to deal with different personalities, you know, and understanding yourself a bit more and understanding what, you know, um, the lay of the land looks like and, and certain things, you know, that might seem minute but are equally as important as the person who's making this more strategic move um, in terms of, you know, what, what next to do. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so the work of a candidate attorney isn't always that sexy, I suppose, you know. Not sexy but at all. Is there times where you do get some intellectually, you know, stimulating and challenging work? Mm-hmm. And what's that like? Yeah. So, so you know, one thing I learned is that you almost have to earn um, your ability, or you you need to earn the opportunity to be given intellectually stimulating um, work. So, let me make an example. So, if for instance, if I'm able to collate a file and I look at the smallest detail in terms of I make sure all the pages are one-sided, they're punched, um, and I make sure that all the pages are in order, there's no, there's nothing out of order, everything, you know, the, basically the file tells, tells a story. That gives the person who has the ability to give you more substantive work an indicator that you have something called, for instance, attention to detail. So then that person thinks that, okay, so if, if she can, you know, you know, file so well, I, c- I can only but imagine if we give her more substantive work, um, that person would be able to apply themselves, you know, and and and, and take it seriously. So it's, it's and I think that's, that's the funny part about it, is that we all start with the more admin stuff, but also all of, all of that, how you show up and how you carry yourself when, you do, when you're doing those ad- administrative tasks is very telling of the kind of person um, that you're working with. And you'd be very surprised that people are actually looking and watching you, you know, as you do, you know, stuff that you would think is below your pay grade. Um, so, 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 so it's, it's, you do get a chance to be able to prove yourself, but also there's an understanding that you don't know much in fact um and 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 and, but i guess it's about seeing if you're able to be resourceful enough and apply yourself and be creative at times you might not know the legally correct way of doing things um but it's about seeing how best you try and apply yourself so Mm -hmm. so you do get an opportunity like that and when you do you try and and shine basically Mm -hmm. but ultimately when you leave a varsity you know Mm -hmm. you're not an attorney um, you have a law degree and you have a good understanding of the law, but how yeah. it in practice, whoo, that's not yeah. that, that you, you don't know that yet. You have to go through becoming a candidate yeah. or a pupil or whatever it is you want, or a corporate yes. attorney or whatever the case yeah. may be. Well, it's a translate. Yeah, hey. yeah. So, no, you, you, you know nothing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, technically, that's what you do. Yeah, 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 that's all you know, academia. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, turning a little bit more towards you and um, and um, this this physical condition, it's I think it's called Blount's tibia vera, mm-hmm. if I'm correct mm-hmm. in my pronunciation. Correct. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. Do you mind telling the our listeners more or less what it is? Because it sounds uh, uh, 
Latin mixed with German mixed yeah. yeah it's a, it's a, it's a, I know yeah yes yeah, it's, it's not meant to be English um, <laughs> so 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 blount so others might even call it blount's disease for short um, but blount's to be a very it's the proper medical term for it um, so it's it's a form of physical disability and it affects the lower limbs of your legs so from from your knees to your to your ankles you you there's some sort of bone deformity um there's no particular reason as to what might have caused it i think at some point before i did my research um i thought my mom didn't drink a lot of milk you know for calcium um and i thought okay that could be the reason you know uh other people think oh you know you were hit by a car and whatnot um but i think look blunts is something that is it's a type of disability everyone knows so i know around the black community they would refer to it as amakwekwe um very loosely but it, it, it's the exact same thing and you know you know a lot of us black people don't quite believe that that could be a disability because we have a lot of people that we know that have you know amakwekwe and it looks very sexy um so 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 it's 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 a type of disability that requires a bit of management here and there but you could say there's nothing i can't do for myself i can even drive a car i drive i there's nothing i can't do yeah so in in, in the colloquial term sometimes people refer to it as brackets hey? yes 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 yeah so so it's it's the exact same thing but um they are i guess you know it varies it varies it varies yeah it varies um i mean the gravity of the brackets and and how wide they are so um in my instance it really is i have been diagnosed it's a medical um disability yeah if you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Nontanta Payne. She's a candidate attorney. Um, she's living in Johannesburg, doing her articles, having walked a relatively long road to, to get here, mm-hmm. and also living with a disability of Blount's to be our Vera. So we're talking to her to get an idea of what it's like to be a candidate attorney. Now, today, in Johannesburg, in a larger firm, and the challenges that that uh, can bring forth. Now, Nandanta, your road to becoming, you know, a candidate attorney is perhaps a little bit different from, from others. You know, you, you've been, you've had a number of, you've worn a number of hats, let me put it like that. And one of those was working in the mining industry at some stage. Uh-huh. Now, what, how did you come about that you chose to work in the mining industry and, um, what were your duties there? I mean, you weren't going down the mines, were you? Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, so how it came about is that I knew very early on when I was in university that um, I wasn't quite sure about practice. Um, I think obviously because of other people's experiences, but um, I knew there was something nicer, you know, that I gravitated towards um, in mining. I don't know if the fact that it was male-dominated was an attraction for me initially. Um, And also, I just, you know, was interested to hear someone saying, oh, I'm doing mining law. And I was like, hmm. 
who would have thought here we are thinking there's only criminal law civil uh you're like ah there's something else called mining law you know and i was like that sounds interesting you know really it was just that um but i didn't think much about it and i wasn't quite certain how i would get into that space so you know how when you would have career fairs at university um and people only go there just for the freebies oh no i actually went there to go ask questions for real for real um <laughs> I wouldn't go as much to the law um, career fairs, but I would go to the general career fairs where I'd go to the companies and see if they would, you know, accept law graduates and what opportunities um, existed in those spaces. Um, and then, you know, I think at some point I, I got to understand that I have a natural attraction for the extractive industry. So it's, it's, it could be extracting minerals, it could be extracting um, anything, you know, whether it's oil, anything that removes out of the earth, um, that removes something of substance from the earth, um, was something that I just found very interesting, only to find out that at Anglo-American, um, they have this graduate program, which they called BLAST then, but now they call it the Anglo-American Graduate Program. <clears throat> and basically, they accept different kinds of students from different disciplines. And, you know, the, the program was, you you know, four years um, in the graduate program and an international rotation, you know, within the four years. And the great thing about us law, you know, law students and accounting students, they give you the opportunity to go do your articles um, and then you come back into the business. Um, so in my first year, when I started in the graduate program, I, I, you know, I had a very strong liking to environmental law. So they put me in the, you know, you could say it's a discipline um, somewhat of environmental law. They put me in the permitting team, um, you know, where you would look at different ways of, you know, processing and systems and how to manage different licenses, you know, from the different sites, um, from the different mining sites. A lot of my job at that point in time entailed traveling a lot to these mines, um, but not necessarily going underground. Um, it was just doing the groundwork and figuring out, so what kind of permits do you have? I didn't even know there was a, you know, music permit. I was so surprised and you learned all these, you know, other permits besides the mining and the prospecting licenses that you know of. Um, so I did that for a year and some bit and then I went directly into group legal um, because I think you know sometimes we tend to forget that even Anglo-American as much as it is a mining company it's also business. Um, so I went into the legal team of Anglo-American and they you know I was there for roughly 10 months um, and then my boss then she said you know, if you want to see your career accelerate a bit more, it would be more beneficial for you to be admitted. And and basically, I am at Weber Wenzel now, but I'm actually a secondee, so I'm still employed by Anglo American. So after my my my, you could say my Oscars of clerkship, I go back into the business um, because that is the agreement in terms of the contract. Right. I see. I see. Yeah, at your, you studied at Wits, is that correct? Correct, correct. And, and at your time, the you know the Wits, the world famous, although it's not quite as good as Tux. I can tell you that. No, no, no. Tux, yeah, Tux you all Tux. say that. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah, we'll give you that. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, during your days at Wits, you were also a, a tutor. Yeah. 
What did you tutor exactly? And, um, and, 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 and was the experience a good one? You know, were, were the students encouraging in terms of uh, uh, what they were putting out, their dedication to their work? <clears throat> People complain so much about millennials. What was your experience mm -hmm. as a millennial tutoring other millennials? Mm, mm. Um, so I tutored constitutional law, structures of government. Um, I, I became a head tutor also. Um, I I don't know how I became a tutor. <laughs> Honestly, you, yeah, you found yourself standing with the with the, with the textbook one day. <laughs> We, yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. I mean, I mean, I applied for it, um, but I, I didn't think they would at any point, you know, choose me to become a tutor. Um, but to be honest, I enjoyed it so much that I, I did it for two years um, of my university career. I didn't struggle, to be honest, when it came to tutoring because I tend to create an energy that is, um, that allows millennials to be millennials, you know. Um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't as strict to say I need to see, have seen your answers jotted down. I was actually more interested about the engagements that would have on a more personal level um, because sometimes, you know, I would, you know, make sure that I cover the, the basis, the syllabus as expected. But at some point you want to try and stimulate thinking besides the textbook, you know, and, and stimulate thinking of in terms of what you know to exist out this and push a bit of, you know, boundaries and thinking. And it was just nice to push boundaries because it's so, it's so, it's so odd, but you'd be surprised that even millennials and because of law become conservative at some point. And, you know, when you start questioning certain things, they look at you as if you're betraying, you know, or you're betraying the, the legal space. And my gosh, I've been taught, you know, this for so many years. And here you are coming to tell me that what I've been taught and what I think to know might not be the correct kind of thinking. They think you're being subversive, um, so, I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, but but also I know myself to be very, um, what do you call it? It's not rebellion per se, um, but I like to put that. So let's, you know, let's take it, a, you know, a notch further and let's think about this a bit more. Um, Why have we always done it say, this way? Yes, you know, and actually question, you know. Um, and it's like, you know, even if you're a Christian, you also need to, as, you, as a Christian, question certain things um, just to better enhance your Christianity or what you think you believe in, right? It's not for the next person. It's for you to fully understand what you're convicted in. So, so I guess it was just trying to push the envelope and see, you know, so how far can we take this? And, and also, I'm like, also learn how to better cultivate you know, your stance um, because someone else might very well, you know, challenge what you think is correct and proper, you know. So I think I found it very interesting, to be honest. All my classes um, were very exciting. They were always full. I had people coming to my classes. You know, I'm sorry, other tutors, but really they were coming to my classes. They would they would make me skip other classes and come to mine. Um, and it was fun. And, you know, I would say, you know, get comfortable, sit however you want to sit. It's really not that deep. It's not, that's not the issue here. And it was just nice to have people just, I'm like, just 
randomly talk. I mean, obviously be respectful, but just, you know, if a thought comes into mind, just speak it out and just say it and be comfortable. Um, and, and that's what you want to build. You want to build confidence, right? Confidence and respectfulness. Um, because these are, are federal professionals that are also going out into the world. So you want to, you feel partly responsible, you know, for almost what comes out of that class mm-hmm. um, in as much as they're also responsible for their learning, but you also there to cultivate a bit of their thinking and understanding of how right. the world is. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Now, yeah. in this country, we have an, an epidemic, and I'm not talking about COVID. <laughs> you know, mm. in, in, in the news nowadays, we've had a problem with gender-based violence abuses, domestic mm. violence, all sorts of things like that. And mm. so many, well, vast majority of the time, it is women and girls who are subject to these things. And I understand that growing up, it wasn't always that easy for you. Uh, mm. And perhaps there's been some trauma here and there, you know, as with many South African women. And could you tell us how you got past that or not past it, through it, how you work through all of that and um, what it's done for you now? Um, I don't know if I actively did anything to get past it um, because when my uncle um, was touching me and fiddling with me, I, in fact, the family still doesn't know about it to this day until he passed away. Um, they probably don't understand why I refused to go to his funeral. Um, and this happened like a year ago. Um, oh, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if maybe that's the, the as wrong as it is, it, it might have been the comfort that I probably needed um, to know that he's he's no longer there. Obviously, that's more physical than it is more emotional. Um, and I think a lot of the other stuff that happened to me when I was younger, my mom and dad were always there for me and, you know, they allowed me to cry all the, all the time, um, cried about it a lot of time, but I think, you know, they, they made me feel and understand that nothing that ever happened to me was because I did or said anything, um, and people do what they do for whatever reasons and we should never be accountable for other people's actions and what they choose to do. Mm. Um, so I think just having my mom and dad and I think probably my, my relationship with my mom and dad, with my dad in particular, because I was very close with my dad, might have actually done maybe indirect healing because you would have thought that having went through a lot of um a lot of sexual, um, really inappropriate, um, I don't know if you call them engagements, um, with, you know, different people, it would make you see men differently. Um, and, and, and I think you're, your trust and belief in human changes a bit because then you see them in a different light. Um, but there's, I think it's, I think maybe in some weird way, my, my relationship with my dad, because I was really close with my dad, I think in, in some weird way, it did a bit of healing because then, you know, you look at your dad and you think, you know what, not every man 
you know. Um, it's that way, yeah. It's like like that, think, you know. Uh, I, I think what you said there is is what your parents told you is is very powerful, and it's perhaps a message that isn't said or repeated enough, um, because whenever somebody, and it's not somebody, whenever a woman in this mm. country, or very often when a woman in this country is is subjected to either rape or physical abuse or emotional abuse or whatever the case may be, you still have a portion of the country who will say, what was she wearing? What did she say? What were the things that may take away some of the blame from the yeah. person doing the abuse and put it on the person being subjected to the rape, to the, all of that. And actually what your parents said to you is the absolute truth. There mm. is nothing that you, in this situation, did yeah. to solicit this kind of thing. And, and really, there's never anything that the victim does to solicit mm. it. And I wish more people would yeah. say that to yeah. someone who, who, you know, who's, who has to go through that. Because it's a very powerful yeah. thing. It, it alleviates a lot of the shit. But we don't say it enough in this country. But mm -hmm. I'm glad that your parents recognized that so quickly and didn't even, you know, question around, yeah. oh, but did you say, oh, but did you do, but what were you, mm -hmm. nothing along those lines, you know? No, 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 um, nothing at all. Law Focus, Consultant, 88.1, Point of Information. Now, if you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Dr. Payne. We're talking about being a candidate and attorney, uh, living with, uh, with Blount as well as being a woman in South Africa and being a legal professional within South Africa. Her story is varied um, from growing up in Gauteng in, in, in and uh, Natal, what case it in, as well as uh, living with different families, um, going through some perhaps some of the darkest moments in, in her life and having some, some really great triumphs as well. She's now having been in the mining industry, also prior to that being a tutor. She's at the moment a candidate attorney with one of the larger firms in the country. So we're going to continue the conversation and I hope that you are getting these little nuggets of, of wisdom that uh, uh, Nantat is dropping for us. Mm. Tell us, one of the biggest things that I've noticed about the legal profession is it's inability, in my mind, to embrace uh, a woman in general and black women in particular. And you added a, a disability to that, and yeah. it could become an insurmountable mountain that you need to, you know, yeah. to, to summit. What's been your experience in that? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess for me, it's literally three strikes. Um, it really is three strikes, and, and then you add to that being a millennial in a conservative space also. Um, so I think, sure, a lot still needs to be done, you know. Um, and I think it's, it's great and well to try and have, for instance, you know, people of color or females, even more so persons with different kinds of disabilities. But I think if the spaces are not fully accepting in the sense that if I sit in a boardroom 
And if people don't care to listen to me, it does not matter the fact that I'm black and I'm female and I'm part of a board of, say, seven, you know, white people, you know. Um, um, Inclusion, you know, is more than just having me there as a black female with a disability. It's actually, you know, listening, you know, mm-hmm. taking the time to be open-minded and listen to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, it and, sometimes and, feels as though we, we, we've reduced transformation to bean counting. I need this percentage yes. of this, that percentage of that, and therefore yes. I'm transformed. Yeah. Yes, yes. And people don't understand that, you know, um, you know, transformation is more about inclusion. It's, 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 it's more broader than diversity, you know, um, and, 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 and it's, it's very easy for, for diversity to be a thing. We can have 10 white people, seven, 17 black, you know, but, but inclusion really speaks to how part of an organization do you feel like, do you feel like you are being counted as, 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 part of your other colleagues, you know, and, and really a lot has to be done, you know, whether it comes to, you know, speaking about mental, you know, illness, you know, and not just the more physical forms of disability, because I think that's easy to sort of try and treat, but, you know, there are different kinds of other disabilities that are not, you're not seen with the naked eye. Um, and, and, and in the last few weeks, that's become quite a topic of conversation in the legal fraternity. Uh, because yes. um, interactions in court have been re- recorded, uh, and they're yes. given, yeah, but they're only now come becoming an issue. Yes, um, yes. And in, in the past, that person would have simply gotten into trouble, possibly lost their license. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, without the legal. Yeah, I, I hear you on. on yeah, yeah. So, so more, more needs to be done, and I think one of my biggest issues in general with with the legal space is that there's a lot of black people um, at a CA level, but it becomes really tricky when we talk about how many black people are being retained. The amount of black people being retained in these legal professions, you'd be surprised. Is it is not even proportionate to the amount of black people that are trained as CAs. If you look at partner level um, it's not reflective of how many black people have been trained if you look at senior associate level you know it gets even worse hence it makes sense for at a partner level to be where you have the ratio you know two is to 50 you know Um, and it makes sense because literally as you know the ladder goes up you know higher you find that you know black people black people by the wayside you know And, and, and it's not because black people are not intelligent and they're, and they're not talented um, and they're not competent and they're not capable and they don't work as as hard enough or they don't sacrifice as much. In fact, you'd find that we are actually, we sacrifice a bit more, we work a bit more than our white counterparts, um, but because we're just to matter- prove that we're good enough, I suppose. Yes, yes, you know, but unfortunately, where it really matters, um, the people who make the decisions in terms of who gets retained at what level, um, we are not there to be seen, you know, and there's no amount of representation at all. Um, You know, so it's, it's a lot still needs to be done. To be honest, I'm not even going to say we are trying, we are not doing enough. It's not enough. Because I mean, if we, if we, I know you, you've touched now on the actual um, attorneys and themselves, 
But if you look at yeah. the type of work that you get, the extremely well-paying work, which is commercial work, hmm. bank work. Yes. Work that's yes. given by mines, et cetera, et cetera, which yes. is huge volumes of work. Well, not sometimes huge volume, but huge value work, let me put it like that. Yeah. That yeah. often does not have a black face behind it. It, it doesn't. Does. It doesn't. And I think one thing we also came to realize, um, you know, being at Anglo, is that you would find that the more sexy work, the big transactions, you would not see, you would not find any black people in those spaces. And obviously, the less substantive quality work you give, you know, to a black person, what are the chances that they would be promoted to partner level? Of course not. My white counterpart, who has all these big transactions under their belt, has all that experience, um, is technically more competent than I am because they've handled all these sexy matters, right? Um, and then you, you find that, you know, that, you know, black lawyers are shoved in the more in labor, in criminal, you know, where there's... Work, I suppose. Yes. Oh, important work, yes. but, 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 but it's, it's Equally kind important, of pedestrian. Yes, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't attract the big clients with the big bucks. You know, um, and, and, and so you find that that's how they channel a lot of um, black people in these spaces. But because because I need to support my family, I'm going to take whatever, you know. So to be honest, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, and I call myself very privileged to be in a position where I'm able to, you know, find myself, for instance, in a corporate space. Um, or do corporate work um, because more often than not SCAs, you know, you are good, get told to, to, to go to a specific discipline. Um, but it's really sad. It shouldn't be the norm. It really shouldn't be. Uh, but that, that, that's the current reality at the moment. And seeing more faces like yours, uh, black women on the bench, whether it's the district court, the regional court, the high court, the, the appeal courts or mm. in the con court uh, as a black male I think I do have a plethora I can walk virtually into any court and I will come across a black uh, either magistrate, senior magistrate, regional magistrate, mm. a justice of the high court, justice of the supreme court or justice of the con court they will be there mm. and I can recognize yeah. myself my ambition whatever it is there. Yeah. Is that happening for black females? Uh, do you mean like in the private sector? Or? Well, in both. Or, you know, on the bench, in, in positions of authority within the public sphere, or mm. in the commercial space? Sure. Um, I think it's different in the private sector and in the public sector. Um, I think you, you'd you be surprised once you get into the private sector how um, there is seemingly a lot of, you know, females. I'm not sure if there's a lot of females where it matters to have them. And you would hope and think that the females that are in spaces or positions of authority would also open up the spaces a bit. But you can also imagine what they've probably had to give up to be you know, in that position. And and I think sometimes we forget that not every female or not every black person um, is fighting the fight that you want them to fight. Honestly, other black people are there for themselves. 
Um, and I think that's the reality we also need to come to terms with, that just because as a black person who's a judge, don't expect them to open up a space for you. They could very well be doing it for themselves, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will tell you what they've had to give, to give up, parts of themselves that had to give up um, to be in, in positions and spaces like that. Um, and it's very hard to recognize um, yourself in people like that. And you have people that do try and open up a space, but um, you're reminded very quickly how you got to where you got. And it's not because you're not competent, but the powers that be, you know, they pull strings that, you know, you're reminded very quickly that you should be grateful to be where you are. Um, so, so, so it's, 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 it's very, it's very difficult um, in the private space. I think it's easy for you to find someone that you recognize with or who's, who's a representative or of you in, in the public space, but not so much um, in the private space. It's a bit more different and difficult. Well, I can tell you in the, in the public space, um, the disrespect can be just as real. <laughs> it can be just as real. And it's based on nothing. Um, yeah. But the fact that you're black and and, uh, it, and and it can come from another black person as well, mm-hmm. being slightly undermined, mm-hmm. less considered, um, less respected than your white counterparts. Um, mm-hmm. That's the reality that we live within this country. Mm-hmm. But I mean, let's not get too bogged down. The idea is not so much to to, to get too you know deep in, in, into the problems that we have. Um, yeah. You know, we're just about to to finish. And I'd like to know, perhaps, if you, in 10 years, from a sort of professional point of view, mm-hmm. what would you like it to be? Say, well, in these 10 years, this is what I think I can do. It's for yourself, for your company, for your family, whatever the case may be, but from a professional point of view, what is it? So... I'm still literally still in the formative years of my career. Um, not really quite certain what the next 10 years looks like in terms of, let's say, for instance, a position. But I know exactly what I think I want to, to, to do in 10 years. You know, I'd like to be in a position where I'm able to show that... Um, treating human beings well, whether it's communities we mine in, um, whether it's our employees that work for us internally in the in the mining company, it's it's very possible to to balance both profit um, and also be and contribute to the economy and to the community. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of if you look at the history of mining. Um, and you look at the whole issue of land, um, you know, there's a lot of history, a lot of blood, a lot of sweat um, that is centered around, you know, mining industry and versus the amount of, you know, you could say money we profit from extracting mineral resources and, you know, in, in, in communities we mine in, you know, I'd like to be in a position to show that we can do that even more, more. We can be able to, you know, make that profit, you know, you know, get the bottom line, but also be able to 
uplift, you know, even more our communities and people that work internally for the for for the company. Yeah. Um, I think for me that that would be the biggest mandate. I don't think to be rich you would need to just profit by yourself. Yeah. I think it is. I think I, I think it really is possible to actually contribute where it matters only because it's the fair and the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And I think the only way that businesses will survive is actually by doing that. This newfangled idea that greed is good and that compassion is some sort of communist or socialist agenda is the old hat. It's a hundred years ago that that was uh, still applicable. We don't live in that world anymore. Before we go, I think I will say that millennials, because we've mentioned them a few times, I think are the first generation to truly understand the concept uh, Mm. that that, that profits and uh, and compassion can actually complement one another. It's not a choice between one or the other. And that's the one thing I think millennials understand very well, extremely well. Yeah. And are better at it than other groups. But that was yes. a pain. She's a candidate yeah. attorney at one of the larger law firms in the country, but has a long and varied uh, career so far, and only at age 28. has been very interesting talking to her about her life experiences, her challenges, her fears, some of her visions, and perhaps the, the, the very real criticisms from the inside of the legal profession that can and should be made. Because the only way in which it can change is if people within the profession and outside of it recognize it and tell people that, hang on, this isn't quite right. It's not sitting with us. So, Nontanta, thank you very much for joining us. And we really appreciate your input. We appreciate what you've told us. And I hope that the listeners well be able to take some of what you've said and carry it forward. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Good night. That's it from us tonight. Uh, to our guest, Don Tanja Payne, thank you once again for sharing your inspiring story with us. It really was uh, very interesting to speak with, with you, giving us a little bit of insight on what it is to be a candidate attorney in 2020 during COVID and, and, and living with a disability. Very insightful. Uh, to our producer, Rafilia Mekwa, a technical producer, thank you for putting the show together for us. And uh, from myself, Tapmap, it's always a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday evening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you for tuning in. We hope to see you again next week, same time, same place. Good night. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Law Focus Podcast.